Hey guys, welcome to the Men of Valor podcast. My name's Casey McCauley, and I want to thank you for being part of this ministry. It's a joy to see men of valor loving Jesus, serving each other, pointing each other to the Lord. And we see this week in and week out through our Harvest groups. And if you aren't part of a group, head over to harvest.church groups to sign up today. In this episode, we're going to reflect on James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. The epistle of James is really just the story of a Christian leader urging churches to be more consistent in their Christian walk. The main theme is the practice of the Christian faith. And that's why I love the title of our Bible study, Walk This Way. God's word is our guide. As the psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We know where to walk towards Christ and how to walk like Christ. And in this journey of the Christian life, we don't walk alone. Of course, God is always with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. But God's people are also with us. We walk together. We're on this journey together as the people of God, as the church. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. This is why our harvest groups are so important. Because discipleship happens together. We need to walk with the wise. And that's what happens when we get together throughout the week to study and discuss God's word in community. We must walk in wisdom from the Lord in his word with his people. In many ways, James is considered to be the Proverbs of the New Testament. Like the wisdom offered in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, James gives us practical instruction on how to walk the walk. This book has so many figures of speech, analogies, and illustrations to help us understand. And beginning in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, we read about a specific example that James gives concerning how we are to treat one another, the way we view them in our hearts, with our eyes, and through our actions. James specifically deals with the topic of favoritism or partiality. James says this, My brothers, Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Isn't this such an interesting and specific example in Scripture? It's the setting of an assembly, a gathering together. It's a church service. It's what we do as we gather on Sundays for worship. And this example gets at the heart of how we treat people. Do our actions match our message? Are we just hearers or are we also doers? Do we show our faith by our works? Think about what happens when the people of God join together for the worship of God. It's people from every walk of life coming together unified in Jesus. Although we all have many differences, the greatest thing we have in common is Jesus, and that changes everything. This passage is certainly relevant to our welcome team who greets people as they come into church, or our usher team who helps people find a place to sit for worship, and those are great opportunities for you to serve and to love others. But this passage applies to all of us as believers when we are gathered together. It's in the way that we welcome one another. 
and the scripture is clear. Consider what Romans chapter 15 verses 5 to 7 says. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Every time we gather together as the people of God, it's a picture of what he has done for us. As it's been observed, what do we do? Our calling is to welcome one another. How do we do it? Our motivation is as Christ has welcomed you. Why do we do it? Our purpose is for the glory of God. What a perspective this gives us as we join together for worship, Bible studies, small groups, and service opportunities. And brothers, I want to remind you that nothing quenches the warm embrace of Christian hospitality faster than partiality. That's why this passage is so important. It's faith without works. It's being hearers but not doers. It's proclaiming the God who welcomes us, but then to turn around and not welcome others. I love how this truth is so clearly illustrated in the Jesus Revolution movie that will come out in February 2023. At church, we got to see an advanced copy of the film, and it powerfully portrays the story of how a lost generation was embraced and welcomed into the church and how revival broke out. But you also see the tension of an older generation looking down on a younger generation of hippies and not wanting to welcome them in the church. It was the show Partiality. And yet, as Pastor Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, and others reached out with the gospel, God transformed an unlikely generation to demonstrate his mercy and might. And as Pastor Greg has so often taught us, God can do it again. When this happens, when we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us, we ultimately see that it's for the glory of God. God is glorified. People see that there's something different about us. And so, brothers, let's walk this way. As we read this passage, we must understand that it has all developed in continuation from the previous chapter. James ends chapter 1 with talking about hearing and doing the word. He gives several examples as a test of true religion or faith. He speaks of the tongue, what we say, what we don't say. He focused specifically on our sacrificial care for those in need, namely orphans and widows. And finally, our distinction from the world, to keep oneself unstained from the world. This refers to a godless world system that opposes God and doesn't treat people as those created in the image and likeness of God. So what are the ways that the world walks? Well, it's in prejudice, partiality, and preference. In fact, the word favoritism in our text translates a Greek word that literally means receiving the face. It's to treat people a certain way, to honor or dishonor them, to welcome and accept them, or to remove and reject. And this is all based on what? James says it's based on appearance and status. He gives the example of the difference between someone coming into church wearing a gold ring and fine clothing and is seated in a good place, and a poor man in shabby clothing being pushed to the side and not welcomed. This is to show partiality and favoritism based simply on external appearance. This includes dress, what people wear, how they wear it, status that's based on style or name brands. The assumption then is that the gold ring or shabby clothing 
is a reflection of their socioeconomic status, whether they're wealthy or poor. Of course, the issue goes beyond just clothing and includes the way people are treated based on the color of their skin, their physical appearance, really any kind of characteristic they have. It can include social status with the job they have, the house they live in, the car they drive, or any kind of possession. And this is often how the world acts, and it's easy to fall into this temptation. And what's the result? As verse 4 says, it's to make distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. The point is that we should not look up to the wealthy and look down on the poor. Have you ever met someone but you didn't know they were a quote, big deal? You treated them as you would anyone else. But then you find out later that they were someone of great status, the boss, a celebrity, or someone with influence. If you would have known that when you met them, would you have treated them any differently? This heart check is what made the show Undercover Boss so popular. The premise of the show was that a high-level executive of a company would go undercover and work with employees to see how things really are, to see their work ethic, character, and how they treated others. And as you can imagine, this went well for some employees and not so well for others. If the boss showed up as the boss, they probably would have been given respect. But when the boss was undercover, the true heart of others was revealed. Well, thankfully, we don't need a reality TV show to teach us. We have God's word. And we know that God sees all and knows all and knows our heart. And so we shouldn't show partiality, but we should look with love. So ask yourself, what do you see when you look at someone? Do you see just their outward appearance and what that can imply? Do you treat them differently because of it? Or do you see someone who is created in the image and likeness of God, who's worthy of respect and dignity and life? Someone that, if they know Jesus, is your brother and sister in Christ. And if they don't know Jesus, someone that's in need of a Savior and to know the love of God. See, as those who are in the world but not of the world, we must guard against partiality. We must do the opposite to welcome and become servants with good thoughts, just like Jesus. So James uses this topic to illustrate or further explain the ways of the world. It reminds me of how Psalm 1 tells us not to walk in the counsel of the wicked, to not stand in the way of sinners, and to not sit in the seat of scoffers. We are to walk in the way of the righteous, to delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his word day and night. And what do we see in God's word? We see that God doesn't show partiality and that his people are to imitate him. The command to show no partiality is connected with the reason behind the command. Quote, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The connection is clear. Partiality is incompatible with the Lord of glory, or it's also translated as the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. It's been said that the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. It's the going public of his holiness. It's the way he puts his holiness on display for people to apprehend. And so prejudice is wrong because it's inconsistent with God's character. What is taught at the end of James 1 and the beginning of James 2 is seen all throughout scripture. Consider Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 17 to 19. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial 
and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And so the focus here in James is on the glory of Jesus, that his splendor and majesty and supremacy over all things will captivate our hearts to then have the heart of Jesus. As commentator David Platt says, when we are captivated by the glory of Jesus, we will not show favoritism when we see Christ's supremacy over the wealthy or when we remember his sacrifice for the needy. He says, you don't honor the wealthy because they're rich in money. You honor Christ because he is rich in glory. And we see so clearly that it was the Lord of glory who came down to the lowly. Jesus died for sinners, the spiritually bankrupt, the poor in spirit, those who realize that they need God. As Jesus said of himself in Luke chapter 4, as a fulfillment of scripture, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see, Jesus came for the outcast, the marginalized, the down and out. Many people in this world don't see their need for God. They are self-sufficient. And in verses 6 and 7, James says that the persecution of the believers was from the rich who mistreated them and blasphemed God. But the gospel, it tells a different story. Sinners receiving what they don't deserve. And through Jesus' sacrifice, we see the great exchange. As James chapter 2 verses 5 to 7 shows, God has chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. Those that the world rejects, God accepts by faith in Christ. Those that the world pushes away, God invites to draw near. You see this so often throughout the ministry of Jesus and how he cares for people. That's why Paul summarizes the grace of Jesus in this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. What amazing grace. Our wealth in Christ will then influence our walk in Christ. In particular, we should treat others the way that we have been treated in Christ. And that means not showing favoritism in looking up to some and looking down on others. And this is why James points us to the royal law of Scripture in James 2.8, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, this is a quote of Leviticus 19.18 and what Jesus calls the greatest commandments in Matthew 22, to love God and to love others. You see, God's law is based on his character. He gives the kind of commands he gives because of the kind of God he is. And so we see that partiality is wrong because it's incompatible with God's character. And so when we do it, we are breaking his law. Instead of loving God and loving others, favoritism dishonors man and dishonors God. James chapter 2 verses 8 to 13 shows us that partiality is a sin. And then in breaking the law, you offend the one who gives the law. And that we shouldn't sweep this sin under the carpet because to break the law is to be guilty of all of it. And so as verse 12 says, we speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. We realize that we are accountable for our actions. The Christian is saved and will not be judged for salvation, of course, for that is secure in Christ. But we will still be judged for how we live this Christian life. 
as 2 Corinthians 5 describes the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether for good or for evil. And so we want to walk in the way of Scripture, to walk wisely, to walk like Jesus, to look at others the way Jesus looks at us, to see people for who they really are, not just based on some kind of external characteristic, but as image bearers. And so I'll conclude with this thought. Do you have the eyes of Jesus? In describing the ministry of Jesus, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Oh, what a Savior. Aren't you thankful Jesus looked towards you with compassion? That he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That the lost coin and the lost sheep were found. That the lost son returned home as Luke 15 describes. When Jesus looked at people, he saw their spiritual need. That people are not problems to avoid or projects to fix. They are people to be loved. And so we have the choice to look at people and see them based on external considerations or to see them based on spiritual realities. To treat them the way that Jesus would and thereby point them to the love of Jesus or to treat them the way the world would and to not show the love of Jesus. Brothers, let us walk in this way, not in partiality, but in hospitality, not in the world, but in the word, not like judges with evil thoughts, but like Jesus who loved us and welcomed us. And so let us hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.